I want to say again, uh, be praying for Vacation Bible School. I remind you that through the week, I'll be going into the classes of the older kids, first grade and up, sharing the gospel with them. Pray that uh, those that are ready will trust Christ as their Savior. On Thursday evening, we recognize those that have made decisions. We're recognizing the decision, uh, but also we will follow through and do our best to contact parents and guardians, grandparents, whomever, uh, to let you know of that decision. But be praying for that. That's what the week is all about. And thank everyone that did the decorations. I know Jane said that a little bit ago. Didn't they do a great job? And if you're not aware, if you're not aware, Marvin Long has a lot to do with the look of the decorations. And I found out from Marvin this morning, this is a real coloring book that he made and he colored. Isn't that great? Yeah. He... um, He, he wants it back to finish it. <laughs> I don't think there could be a better timing for the theme of Vacation Bible School this year. Created, designed, empowered, created in Christ, designed for God's purpose. Because Satan is attacking our children in their identity. And we, as the people of God, need to affirm the biblical view of our identity, that we are created in Christ. The, uh, the verse for this week is Ephesians 2.11, excuse me, 2.10, that uh, we are created in Christ Jesus. And we are designed for a purpose to walk in that path he wants us to walk in. Ephesians 2.8-11, read that when you go home. Don't do it right now. Read it when you go home. Pray for the kids. That, that we will be saved by grace, we will step into the steps that God has for us because we're designed by Him and created for a purpose. You know what that also means? That means that every one of the children who was aborted in the last 49 years, God had designed them for a purpose. God designs all life for a purpose. He knows why we are here, and He knows why we're put on this earth, and God has designed us for a purpose. So be praying for Vacation Bible School this week. Very excited about what God's going to do in VBS at First Baptist Church. Uh, Week before last, I heard from Daisy Ivey, town manager at Ocean Isle Beach, sent me an email to to express her excitement and celebrate a wonderful decision that the town of Ocean Isle Beach had made to install on their building and all their vehicles the motto, In God We Trust. Isn't that great? And uh, you can, it's, it's community-funded, by the way. It's community-funded, community-supported, uh, not through our church, but we do have the information on that. If you'd like to participate uh, in the church office, we'll have the information of how you can connect and support that and help uh, fund that project. I'm so excited to hear that. That motto, In God We Trust, should not only be on our buildings and on our vehicles, it should be in our hearts. In God We Trust. And for a long time, it's been our national motto. Since Friday, it's been brought to the fore again, uh, rising and escalating another motto, my body, my choice. Now, I'm teaching on Wednesday. This Wednesday, by the way, the Wednesday Reset Bible Study, uh, we're going to skip this Wednesday. No Wednesday Reset Bible Study. We'll come back the next week. We're talking about this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But I want to underscore it for all of us who, who say we are believers in Christ. 
that for a believer in Christ, the statement, my body, my choice, is inaccurate and unbiblical. And in truth, if we are all created by a sovereign God, it's not, anybody, it's not your body to do with as you please, whether you're a believer or not. You're created by a sovereign God. That doesn't diminish women at all. It doesn't diminish anyone. Instead, the acknowledgement that we have a sovereign creator who created and designed us for a purpose elevates us to a greater status. It means that we are stewards of this body. We are stewards of this life. We get to give back to him our very best. He is our creator, and it's in him that we trust. But you're seeing the division in our country, the division between those two mottos. It's lasted a long time, but it's escalating right in front of us. The one motto in God we trust are those who believe in a creator, believe in Almighty God. Many of us Christians, followers of Christ, we say we trust an almighty sovereign God to lead us and we, we look to his word for what's right and what's true. The other side of the divide are those who say, no, it's my choice. In me, I trust. I make the decisions. I create me. I decide my gender. I decide the outcome of my life. In me, I trust. And the two clash nearly every day. We're seeing it on the news escalating, but you know as well as I do that often you and I are pressed to compromise our biblical values by a culture that stands against those biblical values. And one of the most fundamental values is that we have a creator, a sovereign God, and we're answerable to that sovereign God. And then the other side of the divide says, no, I'm only answerable to myself. I'm only accountable to myself for what I do. I have no God. I worship at the altar of my own design. And often you are faced with the pressure to compromise or face consequences. This divide has been going on as long as people have believed in the creator God. As long as there have been people of faith, there have been people that pressure people of faith to surrender their values and to compromise. That's why we're in the book of Daniel this morning. If you have that in front of you, you have your Bible with you. Find again with me Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we all left off last week. Daniel 3 verse 13. And we're in three segments, three installments of one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. That's how we learned it in Sunday school. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace which sounds like a redundant, doesn't it? Fiery furnace. But that's how the Bible says it. A furnace flaming with fire, stoked, as we'll see, seven times greater than it normally was. Last week, we saw the lead-in to this story. And, and while the story itself and their, their extraordinary rescue, we'll see that in two weeks, is a remarkable and compelling inspiration to our faith, what leads up to us to that moment needs our focus and our attention. Uh, so last week we saw that these three Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had shown up on the plain of Dura where King Nebuchadnezzar had raised up a 90-foot statue, nine-story statue made, uh, covered in gold. And all of the government officials, including these three Jewish men who served the government in Babylon, are told to come out to the plain of Dura for a dedication of the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have no problem with that. There's no conflict with their faith just to show up and watch the unveiling of the statue 
that Nebuchadnezzar wants to celebrate. The problem is when they arrive and the statue is unveiled, then a herald stands up and he shouts to all the crowd that's there, all the government officials from the top all the way down, royalty all the way down. He tells them all, when the music starts playing, you are to bow down and worship this idol. It's not just a dedication, it's a worship service. They even have worship music. And when the worship music starts playing, you are to hit your knees, fall to face down to the ground, and worship Nebuchadnezzar's great idol. The music starts. And on the plain of Dura, this flat plain outside the city of Babylon, dozens, maybe hundreds of people fall to their knees and then to their faces and they worship this golden idol. Everyone but three. And three men remain standing. They refuse to compromise their values and their faith. Three of their enemies, a group of their enemies, report these three men to Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where we pick up this morning. As Nebuchadnezzar brings them in to hold them accountable for their refusal to follow the order of the king to worship the golden idol. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 13. The Bible says, Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, then he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up the three men and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these three men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. You'll remember that the book of Daniel intersects constantly two themes. They shake hands throughout the book, these two themes. The first one is God's sovereignty. God is in control. God is the one true king of all creation. And no earthly king can supersede the power and the authority of God. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all Jews, we would hope, in Babylon, rely on this truth that God is sovereign and king over all creation. That theme in the book of Daniel intersects with the theme of compromise, the pressure to compromise. They are consistently and regularly pressured to compromise their faith. How will they respond and what will they do? And you and I both know that the refusal 
to compromise your values and your faith often brings consequences. As a matter of fact, sometimes you know what those consequences are in advance. If you don't do what we want you to do, you'll be fired. If you keep talking about Jesus or you insist that we pray before a meal, you're not going to be invited anymore. If you won't go out with us to do this or that, you're not our friend anymore. The list could go on and on. And sometimes the consequences of our refusal to compromise are, are just a ripple. It really won't have a long-term impact. Sometimes they can be devastating. And maybe you have faced those kinds of consequences before. You, you refused to compromise your faith, your values, your walk with Christ, and you lived out some consequences. Maybe you still are. Last week in the story, we saw the progression of the pressure to compromise. This morning, I want you to look with me at the faith that stands firm in the face of that pressure. The faith, the kind of faith that can stand firm against the pressure to compromise. This morning, we're going to call it even if faith. Uh, verse 18 he tells them, he tell, they tell Nebuchadnezzar, but even if, underline those words, highlight them, circle them if you got your hard copy of your Bible, even if faith is next level faith. It's faith that says, I will stand firm even if the consequences are severe because I trust God. I trust God. Now, as always, I want to point out, these Jewish men are faithful to God, but they don't initiate the problem. That's a very important point. Throughout the book of Daniel, we see great wisdom in the way they interact with their culture and interact with the, with the king. They are wise enough to know when to make a stand and when they don't need to. But when they make a stand, when they are pressured to compromise and they face that compromise, they stand firm. And the reason they do that is because they have cultivated the kind of faith that can stand against the pressure to compromise, even if faith, even if faith. Tuck that away in the back of your mind. It's going to matter in a few minutes. Even if faith, the faith that stands against the pressure to compromise. I, I want us this morning to look at some characteristics of this kind of faith. I want you to, uh, to develop this kind of faith in your own life. And you may recognize it in your life right now. Maybe you've been in, in, through an experience where you've stood firm, this is the kind of faith you live, or maybe you realize it's time to rise to the occasion and to live this kind of faith for Christ. Look at this, these characteristics for me of the kind of faith that stands firm against the pressure to compromise. We're calling it even if faith. First of all, this kind of faith trusts God's plan no matter what. Trusts God's plan. Verse 16, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Really? They're standing there under threat of death, and not just death, a, a horrific death by extreme fire. They may only feel it for a few seconds or minutes, but they'll feel it when it happens. A very strange thing happens at the, at the beginning of this part of the story is Nebuchadnezzar brings them in and gives them a second chance. Now, this is unheard of, unprecedented in the ancient world. If you disobeyed a king, you would be killed instantly. Any king of the ancient world, if you disobeyed his orders, 
the end result of that is you would be killed. And Nebuchadnezzar was known for killing people in the worst ways imaginable. You may remember he, he said he was going to pull the wise men apart and destroy their homes and turn their homes into garbage heaps when they would not give him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. A king in the ancient world would have never given anyone a second chance. So the, the question is, why would he do that here? And the only explanation is that he must have had some inherent respect for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was surprised. He was surprised at this point. Evidently, there hadn't been a problem in the years so far they had been serving him. There had not been a problem with them doing as they were called upon to do in their positions in the government. And he had some kind of respect for them. Maybe it was because Daniel had suggested them to be in these positions. And he had great respect for Daniel. But we see a glimpse of this when we are told that at their refusal, his countenance, his, his, his uh, look at them changed dramatically. Before this, he had a certain amount of respect, maybe even favor toward them. But when they refused again, after he had given them a second chance, he exploded and he no longer looked upon them with any kind of favor. Here they have their chance, their, their second chance. Here's their point where they could have said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we misunderstood. Thank you for clarifying the directive that when the music plays, we're supposed to fall down and worship down. We just didn't get it. We didn't understand it. Can we do this again? But instead they say, we don't need to explain to you our behavior. Packed into that statement is an enormous trust and belief in the plan and the purpose of God. What the statement means is we have made our decision in advance, Nebuchadnezzar, and to explain ourselves implies God is wrong by bringing us to this point. To explain ourselves implies we're looking for some kind of loophole. Uh, we're going to figure out if we could find a way out of this. Let's, let's work together on it. Not at all. And they know, as well as you and I do, when we start negotiating and talking pretty quick, we find ourselves on the edge of compromise. But these three men have already made their decision. And everyone that knows them knows where they stand. We don't need to explain this to you because God has a plan to put us where we are. And Nebuchadnezzar, you already know who we are and what we stand for. What an extraordinary statement of faith. It's faith not even in themselves, but in the person and the nature of the God they serve. The God who has brought them to that moment will not let them down. They trust him entirely. And I love that they don't look for any loopholes. Christians, let's admit, now and then we look for those loopholes. Well, I'll do it this one time so everybody doesn't think I'm some kind of fundamentalist. I won't talk about that again because that might hurt somebody's feelings. And the list goes on and on. We look for loopholes. Uh, a, a big one. What about this one? And they could have said this. I will bow by knee on the outside, but I'm not bowing in my heart. They don't look for any loopholes. They just say, listen, we serve God, not you. And we made this decision a long time ago. 
the clarity they have when they face compromise. Wow. And the reason there's so much clarity, the reason they know they have reached the point that there must be a line in the sand is that they decided a long time ago they serve God and God alone. They know their God. They know his word. They know what he requires and they know what they can do and what would be compromised. They know these things. No reason to explain it. Now, I want to make a point right here that's very important. There is a difference between uh, making a case for your faith and compromising your faith. There's a difference. We're not talking about those times that you are asked, why do you believe what you believe? If that happens, sit down, talk with them. Tell them why you believe what you believe. This is not about, why are you making that stand? Why won't you do this? Why won't you do that? That's not what this is. This is not making a case for your faith. This is making sure you don't cave to compromise. And they know the difference. They see the difference. So the first step of that, that even if faith, the first characteristic of that kind of faith that stands firm in the face of the pressure to compromise is that we trust God's plan. We decided a long time ago, I will serve God. And we recognize that moment when we are pressured to compromise and we say, no, no explanation necessary. I've been working for you 20 years. You know my heart. Why would you even ask me to do that? But I don't need to explain to you that I live for the Lord. I've been your child. I've been your daughter. I've been your husband. I've been your wife. I've been in your family. I've worked for you. I've been in school with you. Whatever it is, you know who I am. No explanation necessary. The answer is no. Because I trust God's plan. And I trust this person. And I trust who he is. Secondly, that faith that stands firm. That faith that stands firm. Also trusts God's power. Trust God's power. Now look back at verse 17. They say, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar just made a grand declaration. What God can possibly save you from me, the king? Our God can, because he's more powerful than you. Now, the term, the, the phrase translated, if our God exists, is actually a little difficult to bring over into English, and it may sound like they're doubting the existence of God. That's not what it means. The phrase is actually a statement of absolutes. It would be more like something, since God absolutely exists, since we know he exists, it could also be translated, be that as it may, God will show up. God exists. So based on their belief, we know God. God exists. They say we can rely on this. God has the power to do whatever God wants to do. Whatever God decides to do, he has the power to do it. The term translated power can be translated ability or capability. God is fully capable of doing whatever he wants to do. If we face the consequences of our compromise, God is fully capable of pulling us out of those, con those consequences. God can rescue us. But if he decides not to, that's up to him. But it's not a question of his power. This underscores that faith because sometimes we wonder, why did God not help me? Why did God not do this, answer this prayer this way? And it might leak into our minds, maybe God can't do it. No, no, no. 
If we believe God is all-powerful, which he is, if God has complete control and sovereignty over our lives in the universe, which he does, then we can trust him to apply his power as he decides. Doing that means we trust him to always do what's right. To always do what's right. We can trust God's power because God will apply that power in a way that is always in keeping with his will and he he will always do what's right. In the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9, the Lord Jesus is called to help a boy. And this boy is possessed by a demon. Uh, He comes up to the father. Jesus comes to the father of the little boy. And he says, how long has this been happening to him? And the dad says, from childhood. Many times uh, he's been thrown into the fire or in the water. And then he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And help us. And Jesus responds, if. (laughs) Really, that's what he says. If. If. He quotes the man. If you can do anything. If I can. That's not the issue. Jesus then says, anything is possible for those who believe in God. But it's still God's decision. He doesn't say that, but that's the add-on. But notice how he bristles just a bit when his power, his ability is questioned. Don't question God's power. Trust God's power. Because God will always apply his power in keeping with his perfect will. You may face the consequences of your refusal to compromise. God will apply his power to your situation as he designed, as he decides, as he chooses to do. And that brings us to the third characteristic. Here it is. Probably the most important point that these three men make and a staggering statement of faith in God. Trust God's decision. Trust God's decision. Trust that God will do, always do what's right. Verse 18. God can rescue us. Listen to this. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know as king that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. There is no amount of pressure you can apply to change our minds. Even if, even if, That's next level faith. Even if. Even if God chooses to do something other than what we think is best, we will trust God. Do you believe that? Even if God, even if God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want God to answer them, even if God leaves me in this situation in which I'm pressured to compromise, Even if God doesn't heal me today, even if, I'll still trust God. I want to offer something to you this morning. I don't think in our day and time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be welcome in a lot of Christian churches. I don't. One reason I don't is because we tend to flavor our prayers with hesitation. 
and then we're reprimanded when that happens. We, 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 we pray, but we don't want to pray absolutely. We want to ask God for great things, but we want to hedge just a bit. So we're very careful about how we pray. And then sometimes when we pray, and we'll use healing for an example, we pray that God would heal us from our sickness. If we say behind that, but God's will be done, we get reprimanded. Don't pray that way. That's not absolute faith. You need to, you need to ask God, absolutely, and don't, don't hesitate, don't doubt in any way. Is it doubt to say that God's will be done? Is it doubt to say that, God, I will stand for you no matter what, even if you don't show up for me. I will stand for what's right. I will stand for the gospel, even if. The truth is, most Christians today do not live an even-if faith. You know what we live? We live an only-if faith. An only-if faith says, I will trust God only if He answers my prayers in keeping with my will. I will follow Christ only if He takes me where is comfortable for me, and I don't have to do anything different. Uh, I will serve only if I get to serve where I want to serve and it doesn't make me uncomfortable or, heaven forbid, inconvenience me. I'll come to church only if the church does what I want the church to do. I'll pray for the preacher only if the preacher preaches what I want him to preach. I'll study the Word of God only if the Word of God says what I want it to say. And I will stand for Christ only if I don't suffer any harm. Only if I don't lose anything. See, most of us live an only if faith, not an even if faith. Because the even if faith says, I'll follow Christ even if he takes me places that are a little bit inconvenient and uncomfortable, but I will follow Christ. I will follow Christ even if he doesn't always answer my prayers the way that I want him to. I will stand for Christ even if today he doesn't get me out of this situation. Next year he doesn't get me out of this situation. I will trust God no matter what, even if I get no help with my finances, even if I lose my job, even if my family turns my back on me, I will follow Christ. No compromise. I made that decision a long time ago. Even if God doesn't do what I want Him to do, I will trust Him. Because He's my God. And He makes the decisions in this relationship. Not me. I want to ask you this morning, which of those versions is you? Please don't raise your hand. But if you've been living an only if faith, is that what you want to keep doing? Instead of in God, I trust, you're saying in me, I trust, and God, I'll let you know if I need you. Are you willing to say, Today, I want to start living an even if faith. Even if God doesn't rescue me, I will always serve my God because he's my God. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around, bow your heads and close your eyes.
No one looking around. I want to pray for us this morning, but first I want to ask you a question. You're in that situation. You're pressured. The consequences are clear. If you don't do something that you believe God would not want you to do, you'll face consequences. I want to pray for you this morning that you will have that even if faith. If that's you, raise your hand up. God knows who you are. Good, good. Put your hand down. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, our situation, our position. You know the pressure, God, to compromise. To compromise what we believe, what we decided a long time ago we would never give in. You know what we're going through, God. You know that. God, I pray for us today that we would have that next level faith, that we would trust you, Father. And we would say, in God, we trust, even if the consequences are devastating. Even if this takes me to a place I wasn't expecting. Even if you don't answer prayers just the way I thought you would or the way I want you to. Even if, God, I will trust you. Father, I pray for those who raise their hands. And I pray for all of us in that, God. You take us to that next level, no compromise, faith that we will live for Christ. And God, I pray for those in this room and at home who acknowledge honestly in our hearts, God, that we've been living an only if faith. The truth of the matter is that's probably most of us. We have conditions in our faith, conditions that keep us stunted in our spiritual growth and keep us from seeing you do great work in our lives and through us. And God, if we've been practicing that only if faith, Father, please forgive us. Show us that. Forgive us, God. And I pray today, if you're showing us that, God, we would commit to an even if faith. A faith that says, I will trust Christ no matter what. Even if it doesn't go my way, I will follow Christ. Father, I pray for every believer here and at home, God, that we would grow in our walk with Christ. We would face the the pressure to compromise with, with trust in you and with grace and with respect and simply stand for you in every way. Father, strengthen us in that. I pray for those of us who need courage today because we're facing that pressure to compromise. We need your help right now. I pray for us, God, that you would shepherd us through this. I pray, God, that you would glorify and honor yourself, if possible, Father, changing those circumstances, changing hearts of the people around us. But even so, and even if you don't, we'll trust you. Father, I pray for those who need Christ as their Savior today in this room or at home. Soften our hearts today to receive the Savior, to receive our Creator, Jesus that he would forgive us of our sins and to trust him for eternal life. And I pray this prayer for any God who would pray with me in their hearts, God, to trust Christ as their Savior today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself. And Jesus, I've been going my own way, putting my faith in me, trying to be good. And God, I ask your forgiveness for that today. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me because I'm a sinner. And that you're alive today. So Jesus, I ask by faith you come into my heart and my life and forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. From this point forward, I will follow Christ. I will follow Christ. Father, for all of us, I pray, God, you would forgive us, God. Forgive us where we failed you. Forgive us, God, where we have compromised. Forgive us, Father, for the way we've let you down, disappointed you, and sinned against you. Forgive us for that, God. And it's in your grace that we continue following Christ today. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.